Well, your pastor's in Israel. That place is awesome. If you ever get the chance to go, this is my commercial officially for it. Go. Save up your money and go. Don't miss the opportunity. I mean, you know, we'll see it in eternity and all that, but man, talk about opening up windows to your faith for things that were stories, but now they're stones. It's a pretty cool place. So he's going to come back. I'm, I'm guessing that by now he can't find his socks because they have been blessed off. Uh, yeah, I got a ton of those. A ton of them. All right, if you want to grab that Bible you just got and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to tell you a story. It was April 11th, 1970. A routine day in what had in America's history become a routine thing, the liftoff of Apollo 13. 56 hours into the mission, and you can imagine after 56 hours of uh, headed to being headed toward the moon, you're settling into a routine. 56 hours in, astronaut Jack Swigert was uh, instructed to stir the oxygen tanks. Oxygen tank number two had a reputation prior to the flight. And as he did what he was instructed to do, that tank exploded, blowing off the side of the, of the uh, spacecraft. And hence the famous line in history, Houston, we've had a problem. Now you've heard it as we have a problem, but that's not actually. That was for the movie. But the actual saying was, Houston, we've had a problem and it was a big one. In the ensuing hours, there were status reports. There were room, rooms full of engineers trying to figure out how to use the resulting space junk to get those guys home. And of course, we know it ended up a great story. In fact, the photograph that they took as they left uh, the craft behind in the, in the, uh, the unit coming back to Earth, I forget what it's called now, but you probably know what it was. They took a picture of it and the side of the thing was blown off. Why do I tell you this story, remind you of this story this morning? Because that for me is kind of a microcosm of life. You know, you're going through life, just sort of doing your thing, right? It's going kind of good and everything. And then all of a sudden you say, Houston, we've had a problem. And then that comes up more than once as you go along. And, and it's with this, this idea in mind, this status report of having a problem that I want to remind you this morning in a different way about a different status report for your life today if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. What is your status for today, right? In, in terms of a mission, you're going through these hours of routine tasks, making sure that this is done and that is done in order to reach the goal, do the job and come home. In their case, in our case, it's to get through this life and get home, right? What's your status today? I find that we forget things like this, that we, we get so immersed in the, the day-to-day do that we forget where we stand and who we are in its fullness sometimes. The hurry of the hustle bustle and the evil of the world can cloud these things. Your own uh, 
inability to judge yourself accurately. Have you experienced this yet? If you're older, you really know what I'm talking about. When Paul said later in his life, look, I don't even judge myself. What was he trying to say? Look, I don't even trust my own ability to accurately gauge whether I'm the person I say I am or not. And as you get older, you realize what a mess you really are. Look, if you're young and you're hearing me say this, it doesn't get better. (laughs) The older you get, the more you'll doubt yourself, your ability, your own thoughts, your own feelings, and then we'll get to heaven and all of that will be over. Ooh. So I want to stir you up by way of reminder this morning, a status report for you that I hope will be refreshing. I didn't come to beat you up this weekend. We'll save that for other weekends. But today I want to encourage you. I want you to sense a real sense of where you stand with the Lord this morning and what you have coming. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesus was a hustle bustle city, much the same as Vegas without electricity, of course. And in the midst of that place, and today in this place, Paul wanted to remind them of something and kind of give them a framework for what he was about to talk about when he talks about their redemption in Christ. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ in chapter 1 of Ephesians He says, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Real standard opening for him. But then he dives into this immense subject, the grace of God over the next two chapters. And he starts with this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He just starts out by blessing God. And he's going to remind them in that place and that time what every Christian believer has no matter what. No matter what, if you have prayed a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit has come come into your life, then what I'm about to tell you this morning is an absolute. It's unequivocal. It's guaranteed and nobody can take this away from you. Paul starts out by blessing God for every spiritual blessing, every You might want to pencil under that or make a line or an arrow or an exclamation point or something to point you to that word every. Every spiritual blessing. Not just some. You know how it is. You know, some people get more, some people get less. And you're kind of like, well, how come they got more than I got? And this plays out in your life in so many ways. This is not going to be the idea in heaven. You are going to have every available spiritual blessing. They are currently held for you in Christ in the heavenlies. So you don't have them yet. They're not in your hand now. But it is as if you are the full owner and claimant on these blessings. He says that, and you'll notice, they're in Christ. Just like you're in Christ. That's the connection for these things. If you're in Christ Jesus today, these things that I'm going to talk about are yours. There's no doubt about it. Now we go on with what they are. He starts in verse 4 by saying this, Just as he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us. This is something somewhat controversial, I think, in some circles today, but I I prefer to think about it in the terms that are related to us here. He chose us in him before the foundation of the earth. What does that mean? That means that Mike was on his mind before the world was created. Try to soak that in for a minute. That all of the souls in this room were pre-known before birth. That's why we kind of get upset about abortion, right? The pre-known. And out of that, every soul, he says, Mike. I'm choosing Mike. Now, we know it wasn't because of Mike's abilities or Mike's goodness. And I know Mike, so Mike's agreeing with me. Of course, he can say the same thing about me. But we are chosen before the foundation. You have been on God's mind for a really long time. Now, we'll learn in a minute that the motivation for that is love. He loves you. So he's thinking about you. You might remember when you first fell in love, right? You just, that's all you, if you were a man, right? I can speak from that perspective for sure, but that's all you could think about was her. And I relate that to how God uh, thinks about us. It was a continual process from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world. Now, some will ask, well, well, if he chose me, are there others that he hasn't chosen? I don't have a full answer to that question, but I have this verse in Revelation twenty-two seventeen that says this. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That's a bona fide offer to any soul on the planet. Come and drink freely. Now you were chosen for some things that turn out to be blessings. We chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Right away you think holy. Oh, I need to be holy. Get this thing cleaned up. and Think about the word in its broader sense. To be separated, to be set apart, to be holy. The things of the temple were holy because they weren't for common use. You didn't make an offering to God and then take the bowl home and use it for your bread and your meat, you know, and stuff. It it wasn't for that. It was set aside as something very, very special. And that is you and I. We're set aside for His purpose. We're set aside to be about His business. We're chosen to be set apart. We're not common anymore. We're also chosen uh, to be in that sense of being set apart without blame before him. Your being chosen in Christ means you are without blame. God isn't keeping a track of your sins. He's not waiting to blame you for stuff because that blame has fallen on Jesus and it's taken care of. says that you're without blame before him in love. 
Love again, and I'll mention it a few more times. This is the motivation behind this all, is God's love for you and his grace being poured out to you. Chosen in love. He predestined us to adoption, the next blessing in the list. Predestined you to adoption. The plan was, from the time he started thinking about you and chose you, that you were going to be in his family. And not just in his family in sort of a general sense, but you're going to be, it will be as if we were all the firstborn son in the family. Now that was important in the Jewish culture because the firstborn son got what? The inheritance. He's going to talk about that in a minute. He got the inheritance. So your portion, right, is guaranteed. Predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. It's through Christ that this happens. To himself, to God, according to the good pleasure of his will. So it, it's his will to do it, but it's not his grudging will. You remember, I, now if you've had children, you understand this. They nag you long enough and you finally go, okay, okay. I'll let you have it. God, that, that's not even on God's radar, right? It's not like you nagged yourself into the kingdom, right? Right? No, it's his good pleasure to do it. He's excited about it. That's why it's a blessing. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Key phrase here because this word grace kicks off the contents of chapter 2. And we'll be talking about that tonight at the evening service. You're going to come back and do a real deep study on the concept of grace and why it's so important. We'll do that tonight. But he says... It's by grace, the glory of his grace, the riches of his grace will be used in another place. Praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You're accepted. You know, sense of being accepted. Don't you love that? I mean, it, you do if you know what it's like to be rejected. So for the game of dodgeball, Imagine a six foot six kid, 160 pounds, probably late junior high, early senior high school. And is he going to be chosen first for the dodgeball team? Let me tell you, no. <laughs> no, it was the la- I was the last guy. You want Palmer? No, I don't want him. You want him? No. All right, it has to go over there. That's not the way God did any choosing. That's not the way his redemption works. He made us accepted in the beloved. We are all equal. Equally accepted. Equally loved. So you're chosen, predestined, adopted, and accepted. These are your blessings this morning. You have all of that. And no one can ever take it away. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. You've been redeemed. You were in the trash can, but now you're in the recycle bin. Pretty awesome, huh? You're in the recycle bin. You've been redeemed. And that redemption will come fully at, at the end. But for the moment, you have redemption through his blood. Blood is the price paid, right? The propitiation, it says elsewhere. That's how 
it all comes to pass is that Jesus in your place shed his blood for you. Wow. Wow. I have redemption because of that. And it includes the forgiveness of sins. I'll add to this the idea it's the forgiveness of all your sins. A completed work. Imagine that. All of your sins, Mike. Right? Uh, All of my sins. Now, let me add to this blessing just so you get the fullness of it. It's not just all of your past sins. It's the ones you sinned this morning. And the ones you'll sin this week. When you forget what I was talking about this morning. In a moment. In the heat of anger or whatever. All of your sins are forgiven you. And how, you know, some people will ask that question. They say, well, how can you be so sure it's that? Well, the next statement makes it all clear. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This isn't because Larry said it. This isn't because I hope uh, it works or that I think God is able. But no, according to the riches of his grace, when you measure his grace, be like comparing bank accounts for a moment. Let's say you compared my bank account to, say, the owner of Microsoft's bank account, Bill Gates. What kind of comparison would that be? I mean, it should be obvious by looking at me, right? Not even close. Not even on the same. I mean, there's so many extra zeros behind his that my number, you can't even see it. Right? So I give you this idea not to, not to compare myself to anybody. Just so you can compare the riches of God's grace would be like that. When you look at my grace, it's pathetic. But you look at God's grace and it's, it's infinite zeros. So when I say that his, that, that his infinite grace has taken care of all your sins, no problem. Like Be like Bill Gates paying for dinner. No problem. It's that kind of a thing. That's a blessing. Remember that. Because too often in this life, we start comparing ourselves with other people or trying to say, God, uh, I'm going to do better or, man, I need to do better or I'm not going to get there. I have a friend who, he's a a Jewish Christian and he's, he's very Jewish and he keeps letting that Judaism stuff leak into his life. And sometimes we'll be pray for him on the phone and we'll pray together and he always kind of somewhere in his prayer is, Lord, uh, I hope I make it. I'm like, what? What do you mean you hope you made it? Did Jesus lose your number or what? (laughs) No, 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 no. That's the purpose of this chapter and this letter to the Ephesians at this time in their lives. It's not because God's fumbling and stumbling, but because it's cared for. It's taken care of and you're to accept it as a blessing. Live in it. Let it... Let it assure you, especially in those moments when you're lacking assurance. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us with all or in all wisdom and prudence. 
not only was this a plan, and not only is it an amazing plan, but it's a really smart plan. All wisdom and prudence, God took every possible measure to make sure it was taken care of completely. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, this revealed mystery, right? For a long time, it was Messiah's coming. But now to the church, the revealed mystery, Jesus died for all your sins. You're free from that now. You're able to live in him. It was according to his good pleasure, which we talked about before, which he purposed in himself. God is the one who made the decisions about this. Nobody twisted his arm. He purposed this himself for his good pleasure. That, verse 10, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him, in Jesus. So the point is that there is a time in history for the fulfillment of this. Right? It's... And I think that Paul says it this way because he wants to say, look, this isn't some ethereal, hope you feel good moment. But there is an actual time coming. There is a dispensation, a a section of time coming in which God will gather together that which is in heaven and that which is on earth. In Jesus. There is a finality to this. There is a, a sure coming end for it. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. This is like the uncle you didn't know about. And he dies and leaves you a fortune just because you're a great guy. And not even because you're a great guy. Maybe you were the worst guy in the family and this rich uncle leaves you a fortune. It's that same concept. You have an inheritance coming which you did not earn, nor did you work for. But in Christ, we will have and be at the same time. I don't know how it's going to work out, but we will have and be his inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. This inheritance is predestined. It's what you're predestined for is his inheritance. Verse 12 Finishing that sentence of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. These first trusters, if you look this up, the most commentators talk about how that was the Jewish nation. They were the ones to first trust in Christ. Not all of them, obviously, but, but they did that to the praise of the glory of God. Why? Because he promised he was going to send the Messiah. And the Messiah came. The nation rejected him. But those who first trusted in him took in all of the blessing that God had promised from the beginning. In him you also trusted. He's speaking to the Ephesians now, those Gentile Christians. Most of us in this room, unless you're a Jew, you're a Gentile Christian. We also trusted. After we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And you know what that means? You're on layaway. You're on layaway. Right? Well, you're not there yet, right? 
So you're on, and this is the way I do, you know, if you lived in my head, this would be perfectly normal thinking. Okay? But we're on layaway. We're waiting for the, for the, for the end here who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. You have been purchased. You're on layaway. And Jesus is either, you're either, well, you're waiting for one of two things. You're either going to die or a trumpet's going to sound. Either way, he comes to get that which he has already purchased. And so, you know, when, when you put something on layaway, you don't leave it there, Right? Say, oh, I'll put this money down on this item here and then I forget it. No, that would be dumb. Likewise with God, he would not go to this level of blessing. And it'll all end up being to the praise of his glory. Praise of his glory. That anyone would go to this much trouble for the likes of you and I is stunning. I notice as I get older, I, I like having a real, real grounded self-opinion. And I think about God doing all of this for me. It just blows my mind. I mean, I, I'm sure that we'll see it in its fullness in heaven. But for the meantime, it's like, I'm just blessed. It really doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm just blessed. Now, what does knowing this mean? Let's think about that for a minute. We just covered a lot of ground, a lot of blessings. You want to read that a few times this week and kind of soak it in. But what does it mean to us? What, what should be the takeaway from, from hearing this today? I, I had three or four things come to mind. But certainly in trying to refresh you with the word of God this morning, uh, I think, uh, first of all, remember that these blessings can never be taken away. And as a result of that truth, then it should help strengthen you in the day-to-day, right? You think about, okay, look, here's what I got. God loves me. It's his pleasure to do this for me. He's doing it out of incalculable riches of grace. He must love me. And it's going to be okay. I'm going to get there from here. He's guaranteed it. I think it's a source of hope and strength. I thought about it this way. If you have lost everything in this life, just imagine that for a moment, that tomorrow morning, by some crazy happenstance or happening, you've lost everything. That's happened in history before, by the way. And I'm not hoping it'll, ha- I'm not hoping it'll happen to you. But assume it did for the moment. None of these blessings can be taken away. Doesn't matter. You could be homeless on the street tomorrow knowing you're still going to heaven and still having all of this knowledge to carry you through whatever that would look like. If you have lost everything here, you have lost nothing there. Now, let's make that more specific. That's sort of a general idea. Let's, let's break this down. Take your Bible for a minute. I just noticed this as Paul was writing. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Because you could take those blessings and take Romans 8 and just keep building on them. We'll do that a little bit here. But we're going to run out of time before we can get too crazy. 
Look at Romans 8.1. All right, so three points now, if you're taking notes. Three things to take away from the knowledge of these immense and incredible uh, blessings that you and I have. Number one on that list, in my mind, would be verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation. You should not have in your mind an idea that somehow when you get to heaven, there's going to be condemning behavior from God. It's not. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who walk in the spirit. Who are spirit walkers? That's you. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're a spirit walker. You're walking in the spirit. Now, it's not the same as those who do not walk or who walk according to the flesh. Those who walk according to the flesh are in the world. They're not saved. They're condemned already, the scripture says elsewhere. But you, no condemnation. God's not going to condemn you for anything. Why? Because he condemned Jesus in your place. That's what makes it such an amazing blessing. In, in, in the process of all of that, you're... You're in Christ and your future state in heaven with him is guaranteed. And we're set free to live in him. Set free from sin's damning power. We're set free from the fear of death. There's no unknown about our future as opposed to the unknown that uh, uh, somebody not walking in the spirit would experience. Can you imagine that? I was talking to somebody after the other service. And they were saying how... Having gone through many of the things that, that many of us have gone through, if you didn't have the Lord, how would that have worked? You wonder why so many people commit suicide who don't know God? Well, it's why. They're just overwhelmed with the unbelievable nature of what's going on around them. And that unknown can have terrible results. But you're free from that. There is therefore now no condemnation. Secondly, let's look down at verse 28 here in this chapter in Romans 8, 28. This should be a verse that if you don't have this memorized, would you please work on that this week? I have used this verse. I have worn this thing out in my mind. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, we, I have seen Christians do this, and I think we should be careful with it. They kind of throw this around like a Christian cliche, right? I don't want to get into that this morning. Soak that in for a minute. All things work together for the good. This is part of this list of blessings that God is working by the Spirit in your life. And the present and the future in your life are purposed, not random. Awesome. Somebody's got a plan. Now, I happen to be a planner. That's my wife. I plan everything. And that's just me. I'm the planner. She's the not planner. So we go so well together. Right? Do you have to plan everything? Well, yeah, right. Yeah, I do. Don't you? What's wrong with you, right? There is a plan for your life that is very detailed. And while it, you know, we say a plan, well, well, that means God laid out everything. He doesn't have to lay out everything. 
he sort of got it all circled, right? But think about that for a moment. And especially in the crazy times, you know, I talked about wanting this to be a morning where you were refreshed and, and that you, you're able to better deal with the world around you at looking at it from a blessed state rather than an uh, uncertain one. Think about the crazy times we're living in today. I never thought, and really, I never thought I would see the political spectrum do what it's doing today. I never thought I would actually watch people lie, outright lie on television, and everybody knows they're lying, but they do it anyway. It's stunning to me, and I'm not picking on a particular uh, political party. Um, I, well, I pick on all of them, actually. I'm a, I'm a, I pick a, you know, I'm an equal opportunity that way. But yeah, they're politicians, they're professional politicians, but they are not professionals in morals anymore. And when I hear a politician uh, talking to me about a, a kind of person I should be or the kind of people people should be, I'm like, you should stop moving your lips and start reading your Bible before you talk to me again. What about this? Poor, ignorant Christians who speak against the word of God as if they know better. I never thought I would see this at the level that I see it now. I mean, I just read an article the other day. There's a picture of these group of women who are pastors in churches. And uh, they're, they're there in front of a Planned Parenthood building to pray and thank God for Planned Parenthood. I'm just like, I can't believe what I'm reading and seeing. How, how do you even get there? This is a crazy world. People are out to get Christians in business now. Make them act against their beliefs. and you know They, they think, we're, we're trying to bring real freedom to America. You're stealing freedom and you're making it look like freedom. It's a bait and switch. All right, so now you're just feeling good, huh? I'm blessed, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. No, I lost you at, that, at this point. What a, look, forget all that stuff. Now, here's the point. Forget all that stuff for a minute and let me drop a hope bomb on you. Okay, a hope bomb. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose, no matter what's happening in this crazy country today. Amen. Now watch, let's take this to, the, to its intended degree here. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, that's you and me, he also predestined. So he knew you. He figured out his plan for you ahead of time. You were predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. The plan all along was for you to be chosen and then formed into the image of Jesus Christ through the work of Christ and through the work of the Spirit in your life. That's the plan from the beginning. That he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's not a limited crowd here, folks. He wants many brethren to be in this group of people with whom, with which all things work together for good. Moreover, on top of that, besides that, he says, whom he predestined, these he also called. Now, 
one of the most amazing discoveries I ever made reading my Bible was that everything that's said from here on is past tense. They say, oh, he's an English Nazi. This is really important that you understand the station of these words, right? Moreover, whom he predestined, past tense, these he also called, past tense, whom he called, these he also justified, past tense, and whom he justified, these he also glorified, past tense. You're already glorified. Now, I know you don't feel like it or look like it this morning. (laughs) Neither do I. But you will be. It's as if it's already happened. You are glorified. You just have to arrive and get the body. What then shall we say to these things? Paul asks further. If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're blessed like the, uh, like the book of Ephesians says in chapter 1, who can be against you? Right? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not, he not with him also freely give us all things? How could you even come to any other conclusion, right? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Oh, the people who, de- who today try to sound Christian and condemn Christians for believing the word of God. Who is that? Who is he who condemns? Nobody. There is therefore now no condemnation. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Look, it's written this way, for, all, for your sake we are killed all the day long, for we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. It could be bad, but who can separate us was the question. You're inseparable from God. He chose you from the foundation of the world. You... You are inseparable. Do you remember having a best friend that used to be said of your best friend? Oh, those two are inseparable. Right? It's that kind of an idea. With God, we are inseparable from him. We can't be separated from God. So your present and future are purposed. These blessings prove it and you can rest in that purposefulness. The other thing I want to remind you of, last point here, number three, the present and future are conquered. Lest you still somehow have some thought that, well, maybe I won't make it. Let's try to put this to bed once and for all today. Because when you walk out of here, I want you to walk out of here with your head held high in Christ Jesus. Not in your own ability. Please don't depend on your own ability. You'll be disappointed yet again. We're depending on his ability. Look at verse 37 now. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Now I've marveled over that phrase over the years. More. What does it mean to be, by the way, more than a conqueror? 
Like that seems to be like a high level, right? If you're conquering, you're sort of on top, right? So what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? So I thought about it this way. You're familiar with uh, Napoleon, right? The guy with a hand in his shirt. Okay, some of you are looking at me like you're not familiar with that. <laughs> History, not your forte, huh? Okay, it's all right. Napoleon uh, was a conqueror. He was the French emperor for a time and had many, many victories in his time. He was considered a military genius. He was called a conqueror in history, swept across Europe and was unstoppable until a place called Waterloo. Now, Waterloo is more than an ABBA song. Okay? It's an actual place. It's a place where his undoing began. Not long after that, he abdicated the throne, lost it all. He was forced to live exiled on, a li- on an island and died with nothing. So if I want to say that I'm a conqueror, I'm not feeling real good right now. So it was Napoleon. It didn't turn out well for him. So what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? I look at it this way. We are more than conquerors because we had nothing to do and we can never lose what we have been given. That makes you more than a conqueror. Man, you step right over the battle part and you got the win. I got the win. We're more than conquerors. Look at what the rest of that verse says, 37, through him who loved us, through him, in him, from him, because of him. For I am persuaded, Paul finishes this chapter saying, that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, nor powers, nor things present, or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't be separated. He's persuaded that nothing can separate us. I mean, you think about death. Death is, for most people, pretty scary. I mean, you don't know how you're going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. I mean, some people live to a ripe old age. Some people never make it past 27. Is that... Most of us in the room are past 27. I just kind of, kind of thought, well, what, would, what would have meant if your life ended at 27? We'll talk about the 27 club tonight. What if you didn't make it that far? What would it mean to you today if you died today? Well, after talking now for almost an hour, you ought to be able to answer that question pretty convincingly, right? If you died today, what would happen to you? You'd be in heaven. You'd be blessed, right? Could you count the blessings on one hand? No. You're going to be there. In the midst of this crazy world, then, remember who you are. All the wild stuff going on and everything else that you're facing, remember who you are. Remember what you have. Take a deep breath. Whatever things that come along that challenge uh, what's going on in our lives today, Hey, they're subservient to the real master of our life, Jesus Christ. There will be problems. Metaphorically, you will be calling Houston from time to time. Lord, we have a problem. It's not really a problem. 
It's a moment. You're going to move through that moment. You're going to learn from it. God's watching over here and over there. He's got everything covered. He's moving you through because all things. And you can be certain of that all things because you have all heavenly blessings. You're his. It's guaranteed. So we can live like that. Grounded in the knowledge, everything's going to work out. Keep on trucking. That's an old 70s saying. Keep on trucking. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word. This morning, just the refreshment of good words. Your words. A status check to remind us today of who we are. What we have. How valuable you think we are. Not because of us, O oh Lord. But because of you. Not by anything I've ever done. But because of what you've done. I'm headed to heaven. I have incalculable blessings. I have someone who loves me immensely. Can't even figure out how big that is. You know, it's a pretty confident position for us today. Thank you, Lord. And I hope that everyone in this room can feel that confidence even in this moment. If you can't, ask yourself this question, do I believe in Jesus Christ? Because that's where it starts. You saw in the text, in him, in Christ, over and over again, to be a believer in Christ is to have the guarantee of heaven. You can't get there on your own. And I don't want you to leave here today thinking that there's a chance. If you're not a believer in Christ this morning, you are condemned already. And all I can do is offer you a life preserver to get out of that mess and come to Jesus. Take a moment to think about it. Is it really worth hoping you make it when you could know? And while everybody's head is bowed, I'm just going to ask... If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want you to know. And all you need to do is raise your hand and we'll pray and you'll know because the Spirit of God will move. Slip your hand up, anyone who... Man, maybe you're thinking now, gee, I I really would like to know that I'm going to heaven. Lord Jesus, we... If there's someone here, God, may these words fall into their ears and make them very uncomfortable in the days ahead. But for us, God, today we just say thank you again for the blessings. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.